So we are in the middle of our series retold. We've been talking about those Sunday school stories that we might have heard all of our lives. Some of these stories even show up in school sometimes, and yet maybe stepping back and taking a new perspective on them. This morning, if you've paid attention to social media or um, some of the things that have been posted online this week, you'll know that we are about to talk about the story of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. That's probably a story that most of us are sort of familiar with. Um, We've heard about it a little bit, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, now I know why we sang that song, right? Um, Now it all makes sense. But before we establish that, and before we talk about that story, we need to set the story up a little bit. And we need to establish a little bit of history and where we are in the story, because if, if we just start in Daniel 3, we kind of miss a little bit of what sets up this story. Because you see, there are this group of people that live in the area called Babylon, and they have taken captive the Hebrew people. And in that, they went and picked the finest of the fine of the gentlemen. So there were all of these standards. They had to have a good physique. They had to look good. They had to be young. And they brought them in, and they made them um, be officials in their country. They were going to train them and do all of these things their way. And Daniel, it's believed that he's the writer of this book, he says, now, we get it that you've taken us captive. We understand that we um, are obligated to be here, but if it's okay with you, um, we would like to do this our way. We would like to eat our own food. And because um, if any of you have ever been here when Pastor Freddie goes through one of those fasts, then you know what Daniel ate, right? And we all suffer for 21 days, right? Because Daniel ate what? Fruits, vegetables, grains. Um, he didn't eat any meat or anything that had been alive at any point. And so he said, if you'll let me eat and you'll let my friends eat the way that we are used to eating, I promise you at the end, we'll be stronger and better than anybody else. And it worked. And so then they became closer to the king. And then the king started having these disturbing dreams, dreams that didn't make a lot of sense to him, and they had a lot of gold statues in them. And he said, I need somebody to tell me what this dream means. All of the people that he had trained, they couldn't do it. And then Daniel says, well, I'll interpret the dream for you. And so he interprets the dream for the king, and some of the news is good, and some of the news is bad, but Regardless, the king is really excited that he got the answers that he wanted from his dream. And so he makes Daniel a high official. Like, basically the second in command. And Daniel says, that's great. I'm honored. But what I really need you to do is make my friends, and we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would like for you to make them officials, too. How many times when you come before 
How many times when you're called on the carpet, how many times when you receive praise and glory and honor do you go, oh, it wasn't just me, it was me and all my friends? And so Daniel's friends became officials too. And so Daniel 3 starts in this story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not just captives. They're not just people who are a part of everything else. Daniel 3 opens with a ceremony of leadership across the entire empire. And they have gathered all of the highest and most important officials together because Daniel chapter 2 ends with the king being so excited and so honored that he gets interpreted, that his dream gets interpreted, that he honors God. But Nebuchadnezzar is one of those wishy-washy kind of people. Have you ever met those people in life? Like, every day you have to kind of test the waters. Like, where are they today, right? How are they feeling today? And Nebuchadnezzar was one of those kind of guys. And so just the next chapter later, which we feel like is several months in this process, then he has taken that dream and gotten it all out of proportion, and he has built a gold statue of himself. And he calls all the leaders together, and he says, this is what we're going to do. I built this huge statue of myself. They said it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And when I blow the trumpet and the lyre, and the, if you look at Daniel 3, the list of instruments is pretty long. So he has a complete orchestra, right? He says, when I blow this, when we play this music, then I need everybody to bow down and worship me. And so they do it. And everybody bows down but these three guys. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, so where's Daniel? Well, he's writing the story. But nobody really knows where he is. And we think that because he was so high up in his command, all the commentaries that I read this week said that he had obligations elsewhere. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which ironically is their Babylonian name, We still call Daniel by his Hebrew name, but we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian name simply because it sounds cooler, right? It just rolls off your tongue. But the king had renamed them because before all of their names referred to God and all of their new names referred to a false god. And so they didn't bow. And this wasn't new for them. We established in chapters 1 and 2 that they said, we understand that we're captives. We understand that this is the things that we need to do. We understand our circumstance in life. But there are certain standards that we need to keep for ourselves. You see, God had lit a fire in them. I forgot I was going to have to hold a mic when I thought of this great little, um, I'm going to need some some help. I'm going to need a volunteer.
So what happens in life is we find Jesus, right? He lights this fire inside of us. And we become this candle that, get, that creeps into the darkness, right? And wherever I take this candle, wherever it's dark, things change. That's the way the three Hebrew children did, right? Even though they were captive and even though they were held in a land that wasn't theirs, there was something about them that wherever they went, light happened. But this is what happens to us sometimes, right? And this is what I want to establish before we get deeper into the story because this is not what the Hebrew children did. Sometimes we take our candle and we go, oh, I'm going to go into this situation. I'm going to go in where it's dark. I'm going to go in where all, all these other standards are being displayed. And, and, and God knows my heart. God knows that I, I really don't believe this. God knows, right? The Hebrew children could have done that. They could have said in their heart, God knows and understands that, that, I, that I don't really believe in this large golden God before me. And if I just bow and look like everybody else, then it'll, it'll be okay because God understands. And we start to give boundaries to our light. But guys, there's something about light. And when you give it boundaries, what happens to it? goes out, right? And so I hope that wherever you are in your life and you think about the flame that God lit in your soul and you walk into the darkest situations of your life, how are you looking at them? Are you looking at them so that you can allow the light that God ignited in you to shine in the most unbelievable of places? Are you doing your very best to conform and fit in and go, well, God knows my heart, right? I don't want to really, I don't want to really stir the waters here. I don't want to really, I don't want to really make a, a, a big difference. God knows how I feel, right? And then all of a sudden we've taken in, we've put boundaries on our light. And light goes, I don't work that way. And so you have to know that about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before we ever get any farther in this story is they weren't going to let boundaries put out their light. There's another thing that the three Hebrew children weren't. They weren't frogs. Now, the Rakanos this week, I have a picture of them. They found the most amazing frog in their yard, and I didn't get them texted fast enough for them to save it because I really wanted to bring it. And then I thought I probably shouldn't because Pastor T would leave, right? But there's this story that's told about frogs. Now, science has proven that it's not exactly true, but it makes a good story, so just stick with me, okay? Reptiles are cold-blooded, and so they... Um, acclimate to the temperature and their surroundings. And so if you put a frog in a pot of water and then you put that pot of water on the heat and you slowly, slowly, slowly turn it up, you'll eventually cook the frog. But if you were to have that pot of boiling water already boiling and you were to drop that frog in, he would hop out in a minute. 
Testament, but that's kind of weird. And I have no idea what that has to do with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What if slowly but surely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had conformed to the world around them? What if slowly but surely they had said, well, God will understand it. This is just kind of how life is now. This is just kind of the way we are. And the enemy turns the fire up. And he turns the fire up. And he turns the fire up. And each time we go, oh, it's it's getting a little uncomfortable around here, but I could probably get used to it. I could probably, I could probably stay here. I I probably shouldn't take a stand or step out or ripple the water. So we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't one to put boundaries on their life. And they weren't ones to sit and watch the fire get hot. They were ready to be different. And so now we can go to Daniel chapter 3 to the point where the king is really, really mad when he finds out that there are people who didn't bow. And he says, bring them to me. And he is shocked when it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because remember, they're the finest of the fine. They're really good at what they do. And so now the king is put in a position where he has already threatened and he has already said, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And he has to follow through. And the Bible says that he gets so angry that his face contorts with rage. And I think that anger there has so many levels, right? He's angry because they didn't bow. He's angry because he didn't think it through, right? If you're a parent, you know what that's like, right? Have you ever, like, cast out a consequence and not thought it through and then realized, oh, my gosh, now I have to live with that consequence, right? Like, you tell your kids, if you don't be quiet, you cannot watch TV for the rest of the week. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, great. Now what am I going to do with them, right? And so you have to live with that consequence. And I think that's part of what what Nebuchadnezzar was so mad about, is that all of a sudden he realized he had to live with the consequence of the choice of the declaration that he had put down. Let's talk about the fiery furnace for a minute. I got a picture here. Because I think sometimes we're like, um, we're Western civilization people sure what a fiery furnace is or what it does, right? Well, remember that the story unfolds and it happens around they are bowing down to a 90-foot golden statue. They had to have something to make that with. And so it was customary in that day to find a cliff or a hillside and build a very large furnace. And the furnace was for refining gold. The top, not yet. He tries to read my mind. 
Sometimes he does good and sometimes he doesn't. The top is open, lets the heat out. But along the top are all of these different channels and all of these different places where they can hook pots and put things that they can put their gold into and start to melt it and they can refine it and they can do all these things. And so the top has all of these intricate levels to it. And the bottom you see there, that looks like a fireplace, but like I wish we could see, you can't really tell in this picture, that's a little deer standing inside the hole there. So you can tell just how big this is. And that's where they would put the fuel, right? That's where they would put what they were going to burn. That's where they would get the fire hotter and hotter. And so this furnace has two entrances. Now you can show the next picture. So on the top, they would have all of these things attached. There would be men up there who would be dressed in appropriate attire to stand that close and to stir. And the next picture shows what happens as it begins to melt, right? Because you see, when you take gold through a refining process, all the impurities float to the top. You have to dredge it off, throw it to the side. And then you cook it some more. You dredge off the impurities. And then there comes a point when you look at it and you go, this is pure. I don't have to say anything. God did that sermon for me, right? I'm just letting it sink in. And so the next picture shows us what it would be like to look into the entrance of the furnace. The hottest of the hot of the fire. The story in Daniel 3 tells us that at this point, the king is so mad. He's so angry that he looks at the people who are tending the fire and he says, Turn it up seven times hotter. Now, because we're Western civilization people, when we read that scripture, we think that the furnace just has a big knob on it, right? Like our oven at home, and we're like, oh, seven times, chink, 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 right? Seven is one of those numbers in the Bible that is a perfect number. It's a number that means exactly everything. It's a number that means perfect. And so when the king would yell out, turn it up seven times hotter, then he's saying, give it everything it's got. I want it as hot as you can make it. I want you to throw every piece of coal, every piece of wood, every piece of whatever we can. I am so mad. And I'm going to have my way. Because you see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had just looked King Nebuchadnezzar in the face after he had given them two chances to bow. And they said, we're not doing it. No offense, Nebuchadnezzar, but we serve God, the guy who created all of this. 
And if he wants to, he can change the situation. But if he doesn't want to, we're okay with that. Because we're not going to back down. We're not going to conform. We're not going to put boundaries on our light. And we're not going to sit in the pot while you turn it up hotter. The crazy part is that this is really where the story could end, right? This is the part where the line was drawn. This is the part where we, when we apply this story to our lives, we have to make the decision. Because all of us have been faced with something. I don't think all of us are faced in situations like this, maybe, that are virtually life and death. But I think we're all faced with situations that are the life and death of our souls. And we have to decide. Are we going to conform? Are we going to say, well, God knows the intent of my heart? Are we going to say, I, I think it's okay if, if I do it just this one time and I serve a God of forgiveness? We've all done that, right? I'll, I'll do it if I ask forgiveness later. And God is saying, no, I, I, think I, I think I need you to just be a light. I just need you to take a stand. I just need you to because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they, they didn't do anything flamboyant right they weren't they didn't have megaphones right we will not bow we will the king said bow and they said and the king said I'm going to kill you and they said kind of weird, right? Do you think they knew when they signed up for that adventure that the king was going to turn the furnace up seven times hotter? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you realized that you were faced with a fiery furnace? And you're like, okay, God, we got this, right? We can do this. I trust you. I'm going to stand through this. And then after you tell God that you're going to stand, the fire gets seven times hotter. You're like, oh, I did not see that coming, right? And you're like, it just piles and piles and piles. Why does life work like that? I have no idea. I would encourage you to stand. Whether it gets seven times hotter or not. Because you see, here's the crazy part. In his fury, in his anger, Nebuchadnezzar says, turn it up seven times hotter. So he can kill him faster? Like the whole point of him throwing them into a fiery furnace was to make it a slow, horrible death, right? That's
That's why they kept their clothes on them, because it, their clothes were going to melt into their bodies. These aren't the first people to have been executed this way, right? This was a common occurrence for King Nebuchadnezzar. You can find it in other places in the Bible. Well, when he gets mad because the furnace is there and they've been building this statue forever, he goes, just throw them in the furnace. And so they've fine-tuned this way to make it a horrible death. And in his anger, he turns it into this quick, like, I mean, it was so hot that the guys who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, the guys who stood on the edge of the cliff and pushed them in, they died. So the next time your fire gets really hot, the next time that you don't understand what's going on, remember that demons died as they pushed you in. God is always thinking of your enemies. Every story we've talked about has proved that. And he's always thinking about this story is bigger than just him or just her. the boss. Oh, how I wish Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wrote this story, right? Because I want to know what they were thinking. Right? As they watch the men who pushed them in literally melt, right? It's the scene out of the Temple of Doom or what? what's one of those Indiana Jones movies do the people melt, right? And they fall to the bottom of the furnace and they look around and they're like, hmm. This is not at all what I imagined. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in what is supposed to be the hardest fight of your life? The most incredible battle? The most overwhelming situation? And you look around and go, oh, hmm. I'm still here. Right? And somewhere about that time, they start to realize that their clothes aren't even melting. Now, here's the cool part. But they were no longer bound. Folks, when you find yourself in a situation in your life that you would label the fiery furnace of life, God will break. He doesn't always keep you from the fire, but he makes very good assurance that you don't go through it bound. Now, here's the part that we don't always think about. Nebuchadnezzar is standing on the ground. And he's watched them throw them in at the top. And he looks in at the bottom. Now, if I had just thrown three men into a fiery furnace that killed the guys who pushed them in, I think the first thing that I would say is, are they still alive? 
Daniel 3 says the first thing Nebuchadnezzar said was, how many guys did we throw in there? He was not floored by the fact that they were still alive. He was floored by the fact that his son was alive. And they said, oh, king, we threw three. And he said, well, there's four in there now. And one of them looks like a son of the gods. Every translation translates this different. Every commentary gave me a different outcome. One translation says, and he looks like the son of God. Could he have been Jesus incarnate for the first time? Maybe. Could he have been the highest power that the king had encountered up until that point? Definitely. Was he different than anything the king had ever seen? Most certainly. Did he realize that a supernatural power had showed up and shifted the situation? You betcha. So my question to you is this, because this is what we want to do, right? This is how we are as humans. As we get thrown into the fiery furnace, we hit the bottom. We're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then we're like, who sees me? Who sees me? Does somebody see me? I'm still here. Who's looking at me? And God writes a story that when you're standing in the middle of the fiery furnace of your life, somebody looks at you and goes, who is that with you? Who is that? Did, oh, my goodness. I don't know who you are. Man, you glow. And they ain't talking to you. What would happen if in our situations, when people looked in, they were not amazed by the fact that we were still alive in the situation that we were in. They were amazed that we weren't alone. They were floored by the fact that somebody loved us enough to show up in the worst story of our life. Because whoever that is, that's what they want. King Nebuchadnezzar was never the same. Now, he's wishy-washy for the rest of his life. At one point, he's just crazy, right? But on this day, he was never the same. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out here. And they walk out. I just can't imagine. Right? Fire that's seven times hotter than what it takes to melt gold. And these guys walk out. And what did they say? Nothing. Nebuchadnezzar was so overwhelmed 
by the fourth man in the fight. See, when they walked out looking good and not even smelling bad, Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't know who your God is. And I don't know that I understand all this. But he's the real deal. And from now on, he's the boss. What does that look like in your life? Are you living a life in such a way that when people look into your fiery furnace, they are overwhelmed by that one beside you who glows? And they walk into your situation and they don't ask you questions like, how are you doing? I can't believe you're holding up in this. I can't. They ask you questions like, you have a lot of strength. How did that happen? You seem to be at peace. How does that work? You seem to not feel like you're alone. I wonder if we took an honest poll of all the people that we know that one of the biggest battles they have is loneliness. Even people who live in big families. They just feel like they're doing life alone. And when they look at you, they can tell you're not. What would happen if we could introduce people to Jesus simply because they saw him with us. They saw him work through us. They saw him glow out of us. I've told you before, I'm one of those kind of people that everywhere I go, somebody says they know me. I, I've been on more dates with Travis where the waiter or waitress has ended up pulling up a chair and sitting down and they tell me, you look so familiar, you remind me of, and then they tell me their life story. If I make eye contact in the mirror with somebody else in the bathroom, I guarantee you I'll know three things about them you wish you didn't know before I left the bathroom. Happened just yesterday. We were sitting in a Target parking lot. Some lady knocks on our window. She wants gas money. We hand her the little bit of cash, because like Pastor Christy, who carries cash anymore, right? We hand her the little bit of cash we have, and she looks in the window. She goes, do I know you? And like she's scared, right, because she thinks she's just been caught. And I go, no, ma'am. She goes, you look real familiar. And you know what I realized? People don't recognize me. They recognize the God that lives inside me. Right? And when they're looking at me and they're going, you seem so familiar. Somewhere in their life, they have an encounter where they understand who God is. And when he walks back into their life in the form of a full-figured pastor, who has a really big mouth and sweats a really lot when she preaches. They go, oh, you look really familiar. And then all of a sudden they feel this peace inside them that says, 
the last time that I encountered you, the last time that I was with you, I knew you were somebody that was safe. And so let me tell you the things that hurt me right now. has nothing to do with me. And so I don't even always have to say a lot. I just let God shine. I make sure that I haven't given my candle boundaries. And so God shines in the weirdest of places, the strangest of times. And people go, you don't seem to be lonely. I'm not. serve a God who has walked with me through every storm, through every water, through every fire. And look, I don't even stink. And if you think this is just an Old Testament story, this is just a moment from an Old Testament God. Let's look at what 1 Peter has to say. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Sounds familiar. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Refining is not fun. There's no part of the process that is beautiful. You take old stuff that nobody wants anymore and you melt it down and you push all the impurities away and then what's left is true. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the refining fire. That was his sole purpose. And when thrown into the refining fire, the purest thing in them shone bright. When Nebuchadnezzar looked inside the furnace, he said, there's four. Who's the other guy? The purest, most beautiful part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been exposed in a refiner's fire. So the next time you find yourself going, wow, this furnace stinks. Pretty sure somebody turned it up seven times hotter. Wouldn't it be beautiful if 
when you return to the refiner's fire. The purest of who you were shown through and looked a whole lot like someone else. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you. We thank you for this story, which is actually an account of historical remembrance. We thank you that we can take it and and break it down and look at it from maybe a new perspective that we hadn't thought of before. We thank you that you are the kind of God that works in such a way that somehow you spoke to each of our souls and you allowed us to apply the story to our life. So God, whatever you taught us today, because I know you taught me a lot, may we take it to heart. May we be reminded of it in the days to come. And may we never be the same because we encountered you today. God, I love you so much. I thank you for moments like this where we can talk through a story. And watch you be who you are.